1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you who people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you who people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it and God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will re receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then... No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ 
and Christ is of God. Father, we thank you for these words from Paul and I pray now as we listen, as we explore them together, that you might speak to us by your spirit. Teach us and renew our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, so far in 1 Corinthians, we've looked at the message of the cross. Jesus died and rose to bring forgiveness and new life to those who repent and believe. We've seen how God is making a new family, the church, changing and transforming us by his spirit. The message of the cross tells us how we join God's family. The Spirit helps us grow up and mature in that family. And part of that, we saw, means learning uh, some new values. God's values rather than the world's values. And this is where the Corinthians were struggling a bit. They praised and they focused on the wrong things. Human wisdom, rhetorical skill, competence. Whereas God builds his people through weakness sacrifice, and self-giving. We've seen Paul sort of tell them off a little bit in chapter 1, but he kind of gets a bit more serious with them here, doesn't he, in chapter 3. I wonder if you can tell me the difference between a mother-in-law and giving birth. One is terribly painful and almost unbearable, and the other is just having a baby. (laughs) My mother-in-law is sitting just here, everyone. Politicians are like nappies. In an ideal world, they should be changed frequently and for the same reason. Paul is pretty rude here, just like me. Paul is pretty rude. In verse 1, he says this. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. You see, for Paul, living by the Spirit is part of what it means to be a Christian. So when he says this, he's saying, I couldn't talk to you as Christians, but only as babies. Uh, the word he uses is nepios. It's the word we, uh, where we get the word nappy from. He's saying, you are so immature, you aren't even potty trained yet. Ouch. But Paul has a point, doesn't he? Have a look in verses 3 and 4. The evidence that the Corinthians are like infants. They are, there's jealousy. There is quarreling. They have little cliques and, and factions. Sounds pretty infantile to me. The irony is that the Corinthians thought they were fully grown, mature adult Christians whilst behaving like babies. How easy it is for us to deceive ourselves about what we are really like. The problem is always other people. I don't know if you've seen over the past couple of weeks on the news as people have been interviewed on petrol forecourts. Of course, they always had a valid reason why they needed to buy fuel before they had an empty tank. I saw one lady who had more than three quarters of her tank left. But of course, she had a very good reason. The problem was, Everyone else, panic buying fuel. A sign of maturity is to be able to see things and to see yourself as you really are. So you can do something about it. Do not deceive yourselves, Paul says in this. 
He wants the Corinthians to see themselves as they really are so they can do something about it. And that's why he was being so firm. In verse 2 he says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Now believe it or not, there are quite a lot of milk-related jokes on the web. Why did the cow jump over the moon? Because the farmer had cold hands. What's the fastest liquid on the planet? Milk. Because before you see it, it's pasteurized. (laughs) How does Reese eat her milk and cereal? With a spoon. (laughs) What does the invisible man drink? Evaporated milk. John told me before the service, the trouble with religious jokes is they end up getting ordained. That's quite enough of that. What does Paul mean with all this stuff about milk and solid food? He seems to be referring, I think, to his teaching. So the most natural meaning, I think, is that the milk is the gospel, the message of the cross. Jesus died and risen, joining God's family. And then the solid food is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, helping us grow as disciples, living as part of God's family. Uh, Sometimes people don't like the suggestion that the gospel might be milk, um, but I don't really see a problem because um, babies have to have milk. Otherwise, well, they can't digest solid food, can they? So they need to have milk. Children keep drinking milk as they grow so that they get strong bones. I still have a glass of milk in the morning as part of a healthy diet, though. Milk is good, but to grow, we need more than milk. I could stand up here every week and say that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for our forgiveness, so we might have new life. And to be honest, most weeks I probably will say that, because I think we all need to be reminded regularly of the 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 core gospel truths. It's like having a glass of milk every morning at breakfast. But if I only said that, if I only ever said that, we'd end up feeling spiritually hungry because we don't just have milk, do we? We we eat solid food for the rest of the day. Christians also need the rest of what the Bible says about God, about us, about following him to help us live out the life that God's given us in Jesus, to help us grow up into God's family, to help us become the people we already are in Jesus. Now, Paul likes a good metaphor. I don't know know how well you know Paul, but he does like a good metaphor. He likes mixing his metaphors, and he likes chaining them one after another. So first of all, we had milk and solid food. Next, we move on to farmers and builders. There was going to be a picture of an imperial star destroyer, except it was a picture with a twist because it's actually made of Lego. In fact, it's made of 4,784 Lego bricks. It's 66 centimetres wide and over 110 centimetres. That's 43 inches long. It's humongous. But just imagine the hours of fun making it. There's going to be also another picture of a Millennium Falcon, also made with Lego, which is over 7,500 bricks. It's incredible. There's this picture of this guy with it in his arms like this. They can be yours for the princely sum of £649. Um, I think they'd look great in my office at home. I'm not sure Jess would agree. I love to build things. I always loved Lego when I was growing up. 
And uh, pretty much all I had for years, I would have Lego for Christmas. I'd have Lego for my birthday whenever. I, yeah, it was always just Lego, Lego, Lego. Um, I had little tool trays to store all my pieces in so I could get the piece that I needed for whatever it was I was building. I loved it. And uh, that's probably one reason why I'm tempted to skip over the next little few verses, because they're about gardening, and I'm useless at gardening. But then after that, you get onto the bit about building, which is a bit I like a bit more. Um, sometimes it's tempting, isn't it, to skip bits in the Bible that we don't really get, or that don't really speak to us, or, or perhaps that we don't even understand. But we, we miss out if we do that. So I, I, I just have to go with the gardening. Verse 6. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and then the key bit, but God has been making it grow. And then he carries on. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The Corinthians were obsessed with their human leaders. We saw that in chapter 1, and Paul repeats it twice in chapter, in chapter 3 here which shows how big a problem it was for them. The church was divided by who they thought was the most impressive preacher, who had the the cleverest arguments, or simply maybe even the one they liked the best. But as Paul says in verse 5, human leaders are only servants, only servants, doing the tasks that God has appointed for them. And it's important that they do those tasks. As I say, I'm no expert. Some of you will be able to confirm, but uh, there's not much point watering soil before you've put the seeds in it. Because nothing's going to grow. I mean, I, I, yes, sorry, some, some of you are sort of going, maybe, maybe, just to prepare the soil. If you never plant a seed and water it, nothing will grow. Equally, if you plant the seed and never water it, not much is going to grow either. You might get a little shoot, but it will die because it needs the water. So church leaders, thankfully, we're not irrelevant, but we are insignificant compared to what God is doing in our lives. Paul says in verse 9, we, that's him and Apollos, the church leaders, are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Christ Church isn't my church. It's not even your church, actually. It's God's church. Stop focusing, Paul says, on your human leaders and put your confidence in God because you are God's. He really labors the point. That's why I'm laboring it. (laughs) Whether you prefer buildings or fields or gardening or whatever it is, the point is we belong to God. You know, not all building work is equally enjoyable. For instance, drilling a hole is boring. But fastening two pieces of metal together, that's riveting. Many of you here at Christchurch who've been here for a few years know far more than me about what it takes to construct a building. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I reckon that a couple of metres below us are some foundations. Am I right? Yes? Good. So I always worry when a preacher says something, like, is it going to ruin my sermon? There are some foundations, and I presume they're made of something, I hope they're made of something quite solid. Yes, good. And, and obviously they're quite level because the building isn't like this. Verse 10. 
By the grace God has given me, Paul says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. No one, verse 11, can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Incidentally, this is why I think the milk in verse 2 is that foundational teaching of the gospel. Because like milk, foundations are crucial, but both are only the beginning. Otherwise, we'd be sitting on a big slab of concrete. So I imagine that's what the foundations are made of, I don't know. In his own teaching, in Matthew 7, Jesus gives an example, doesn't he, of a wise man who builds a house on the rock. And although the rains came down and the floods came up, you know that one? Yeah? Although that happened, his house did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But there was another man, wasn't there? A foolish man who built his house on sand. And when the rain came, and his house came tumbling down. Yeah? Sorry. Jesus says it fell with a great crash. Uses the word mega. A massive crash. What makes a wise builder? Jesus gives the answer. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And that, I think, is the point Paul is making here. The Corinthians were obsessed with human wisdom, which is like building on sand. That's what building on human wisdom is like. But Jesus is the foundation of the church. So if he's the foundation, what do we build with? Paul says in verse 12... He encouraged us to build on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones. And he explains that that is because when they are tested with fire, those things will survive, but the woods, the hay, and the straw will be burned up. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this building appears to be built out of breeze blocks and RSJs. It's not built out of silver and gold and precious gems, I assume. If it is, cha-ching, hello. <laughs> so I should start digging. Why? Because they're actually they're pretty useless as building materials. Because gold and silver, they're really soft and malleable. That's why we make jewellery out of them, apart from the fact that they sparkle. It's because they're easy to work with. Gems, they might be hard, but they're really brittle as well. They're easy to break. You would not build a building out of gold, silver, and costly stones. So what on earth is Paul talking about? In fact, you're probably more likely to build with wood. <laughs> I think the Old Testament helps us out here. Psalm 12. The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver, purified in a crucible, like gold, refined seven times. Psalm 119. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Proverbs 8. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. It turns out that Paul means... What Jesus meant in his parable. The bricks are God's precious words that we need to hear. So building with them means putting them into practice, which is costly. But that's what it means to build with care, as Paul says in verse 10. It's the most logical building in the United States of America. Anyone? 
It's the United States Mint. Because if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I reckon that's probably the worst one, don't we? <laughs> Sadly, some churches do shift their foundation so it isn't on Jesus. But I'm not convinced that's the danger that we would face here at Christ Church. I think the danger we would face is building with wood, hay, or straw. You see, that happens when we do good things, when we are kind and compassionate, loving and generous, but we shy away from Scripture, rarely talking about Jesus, ignoring what people actually need which is someone to deal with their sin and their shame. That's what people need. That's why people are hurting. And that's what Jesus came to do. Christians and even churches can be well-meaning and busy with all sorts of good things. But like the Corinthians, we can be deceived and build with the wrong materials. Friends, I don't want that to be us. I'm not saying it is us. I'm saying that is what I think our danger probably is. I want us to build the right building with the right materials on the right foundation, which is Jesus. That will mean, I'm sure, asking some difficult questions. But it also means that whatever we build will survive. Verse 14, Paul uh, is looking forward to the reward that the builder receives if what has been built survived. That reward, it's not like a better seat in heaven. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it is the joy of seeing something that we helped build take its place in God's kingdom. That's the, that's the reward. That's the reward that Paul was looking for. That's the reward I long for. I want to finish with that challenge and encouragement so hold that in your heads. But I can't ignore the end of the chapter. Paul uses yet another metaphor to describe what we are building. We've had, uh, we've had babies. We've had farmers. We've had builders. And now uh, we have a temple. Verse 16. We are a temple and that God's spirit lives among us. Notice we're not building individual temples Paul says we are a temple. Verse 17, you are together that temple. So the church is a new family, but it is also a new temple. It's not supposed to be a museum looking back to the past all the time. It's supposed to be living and growing, full of God's energy and life-giving spirit. We pray, come Holy Spirit, not because he isn't here, but because he is, and we are thirsty for more. That's why we pray, come Holy Spirit. What that looks like in practice, well, that comes later in 1 Corinthians. For now, Paul's point is that the church is sacred to God. That God takes it seriously. For all my stupid jokes, so do I. We aren't messing around. This is life and death. It matters that we build carefully with the right materials on the right foundation. God takes it seriously. 
And the warning is serious too. I don't know if you spotted that in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Paul uses the same word. God will treat us as we treat the church. might sound harsh, but remember who wrote it and what he did before he met Jesus. He did everything he could to destroy the church. Everything. But he turned around, said sorry, and was forgiven. But that was the danger Paul was in, that he would be destroyed in turn. His warning is stark. If we don't repent, Jesus says, we will perish. The warning is stark, but so is the encouragement. That all of this building is not all down to us. Praise the Lord. For ultimately, remember verse 7, God is the one who makes things grow. Forget the wisdom of the world, Paul says. Might sound good, but ultimately it is foolish, verse 19, and futile, verse 20. No. God has given us everything we need in Jesus. That's what those last verses mean. All things are yours. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So, let's together continue with all that God has given us. Build carefully with it, and we will one day share in his joy, the joy of our true master builder. Amen.